Hi, everyone. Welcome all of you once again to our series of expert interviews called Financially Speaking with established individuals in finance who've broken myths about the complications and have carved their own unique, distinct journeys, making finance work for them. Today, I'm delighted and honored to have with us Ms. Khadija Kartit. Khadija is the Managing Director at IFS Advisory. She has also held the CEO role at Watan Investment and Securities Company, a leading investment bank in Saudi Arabia, and has closed landmark M&A and ECM transactions between 2011 and 14. Prior to that, Khadija has also worked for National Investor, a leading regional investment bank in the Middle East. The main areas that she's passionate about include fintech, edtech, healthtech, proptech, and e-commerce. Khadija is also a Fulbright scholar. She's received her MBA from Oklahoma State University and her Master of Science in Finance from Boston College. Khadija believes if software is eating the world in the eyes of Anderson Horowitz, in her eyes, financial technology is defining where money, power, democracy, and individual freedoms will be tomorrow. She's also a member of Investopedia's Financial Review Board and has 25 plus years of strategy and investment experience. Khadija, what a pleasure it is to have you with us. I could go on and on, but we'd like to hear from you. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How has it been? How did you get into finance and what keeps you going? Thank you, Neha. Thank you very much. I was also uh, having high anticipation for this interview and audio intellectually on social media and uh, directly afterwards. So it's um, amazing how technology connects uh, like-minded people and um, technology has been a great um, gift to me. I leverage it in the best way I like to to, to and I expanded my horizons. So um, I will start by thanking the program for inviting me. And um, I will not um, expand too long on my journey because I will sound old. <laughs> I'm not, it's just my 24 hours are uh, <laughs> expanded or multiplied or also life makes that connections and networks amplify your abilities and you can do things in five years yet that you may do in 10 years. And there are people that can speak about that much, much more than I am. So I'm just one of the millions, okay? And our goal is that there are more millions that will do that like this, be an enabler and the role model for youth and for other people to get hints and tips to, so they can do more of their skills and abilities. Okay, so let's talk about finance. My career, in fact, started with business in general. I was um, in the field of oil, working with Shell Oil as the first uh, field manager in, in Morocco, the first per, uh, woman. I worked in gas stations, airports and ports, and um, I have this drive of doing some, uh, be excellent in whatever I do. Uh, so I shined in there, promoted many times. After that, the Fulbright scholarship, after that, my MBA, after that work with American Airlines for sourcing engines, after that working in the power, in, in, uh, power sector, wind and energy, which is a big topic right now, but I did it in 2001. 2003, 
uh, then back to the US and then dive, dive deep down into finance and capital markets. Uh, went for my master's in finance, did the chartered financial analyst accreditation, worked with UBS in wealth management and investment banking, and then expat in Saudi Arabia in investment banking. Um, uh, then I started to pay attention to networking deal, de like friendship at work, um, partnership, and then entrepreneurship, you know? So I found that whatever skills I built, it needs people to empower that and to make it real and to bring something amazing out of it. So I met a lot of good friends and partners at work, became the uh, a CEO of, of a first CEO actually in, the, in Saudi, as you mentioned and um, uh, had a lot of pleasure working high-profile transactions as a woman. And uh, then back uh, to, uh, to Boston, um, and then started my own company in corporate finance, uh, did M&A then at some inflection point, I felt like finance just by itself is obsolete. It needs technology to be, to be revamped and re-energized and to be useful again, because just with that, it's it, it's useful, but not too much because you don't speak the language of technology. Uh, then started to read a lot of uh, uh, case studies, uh, follow the, the action and the um, rising stars, Stripe, Adian, uh, Ant Financial, um, uh, Pled, MasterCard, Go Goldman Sachs, all the, the changes that's happening in uh, fi finance, but enabled with technology. I had so much fun and I felt like my career has started again. You know, it's just so energizing to find something in you that uh, will uh, um, ask, demand from you to learn every day. So I'm sitting like a student again and uh, learning. Then I started teaching FinTech because it's a uh, an area where demand is, and there is a lot of transformation and recycling of skills of finance into fintech. So it's a great way to to uh, augment the skills of finance people into fintech um, and like enable them to remain relevant. So I, I started with Brandeis teaching in a Masters of Digital Innovation in FinTech. I enjoyed that so much. I developed a course about launching ventures in FinTech and, and just so much fun. And I got a lot of entrepreneurs with uh, real business plans. I worked with my students, stayed friends with my students, closed groups. After that, worked with the FinTech school in California, teaching FinTech. And then through the FinTech school, I got introduced to Cornell and I teach women entrepreneurship and finance right now with large groups of women. Now uh, we started with 20,000 women, now it's 50,000 women. And yesterday I had the pleasure of having a large discussion with them between 8 p.m. and um, 9.15 because we just go over and there were uh, like 20 ladies with me in the room and I call it the meeting of the minds and we talk entrepreneurship wide and large and deep and whatever. Also we talk personal because women need, need uh, an ecosystem and need an ecosystem that understands them, okay? So I also advise um, fintech startups and um, my type of work is that I partner really tightly with um, my clients to the point that I, I own. I own their startup as much as, as, they, as they own it. And uh, they know that, they know that. Uh, through that knowledge, they, most of them will, uh, invite me to become part of it. That's how I uh, get connected to Khuram Aghas 
from Agazi Investments. That's the core of our discussion today. Um, um, and Horam um, is an um, uh, established software engineer for uh, like 20 years between Microsoft and Oracle. Then he thought about this um, idea of Halal Robo Advisor. He started working on it. He's very resourceful, very skilled. Then he says, Khadija, do you want to come and uh, be part of this team? And uh, my motto right now, after a long journey, I only join teams that I believe they are doing something impactful because I just want to be part of something that's meaningful to me, uh, either a service to humanity in fintech, like financial inclusion, like something transformational in some subsegment of fintech, or um, halal investing because I am a Muslim and I would like to be part of that and enable um, finance uh, ethically ethically in line with the faith of uh, Muslims around the world, which has not been the case for so long. Okay, so uh, that's that's my uh, connection with Aras. I worked with Aras since um, as an advisor from April. Um, we launched a couple of weeks ago, so we are excited. My Our app is live and we are doing a wow. lot of things. Yes, and I'm not the managing director. I am the investment person at Agas, <laughs> Horam is the CEO, but um, uh, for us, uh, of course, in any startup, there's no low role, it's all generalist, anybody can contribute anything, we just need the mind, the heart, and the brain of people to help us do whatever they can do, you know, it's just a, a very uh, flexible and um, fluid environment, anyone can do anything as long as it's working for us, okay, so um, that, that is Agas. Uh, and my relationship with them. That is that is wonderful. I think that is one thing that fascinates me about finance is that you never stop learning. So you learn and you sort of, you know, reinvent and then newer technology comes in. So you're learning. So that's fascinating. Um, so we do a lot of work around financial literacy and we don't really talk about financial literacy as something where you open a bank account and you're done and dusted. So what we want to, as we aspire is that, you know, newer avenues of finance should be highlighted, which is where we stumbled upon Islamic finance. And you wouldn't believe a very good friend of mine, my closest friend, she, she's based out of Dubai now, and she's a Muslim. And I reached out to her and she said, I don't really know much about it. And that's when the thought hit me that, you know, we have to tell people who have the money to invest about these kind of alternate avenues. So could you please tell us about what is Islamic finance? What are some of those core fundamentals, you know, halal based investing, Sharia laws? Just throw some light about what the beautiful world of Islamic finance is. Okay, thank you, Niha. Uh, first of all, uh, I would like to make a disclaimer that I'm not a Sharia advisor. I am just a financial professional operating in the space of Islamic finance. And um, uh, as you know, any venture needs a lot of minds and each mind is spe specialized or expert in one area. So uh, the area the, in Agaz, we have the two Sharia advisors. We have the investment team, we have the technology team, we have the quantum computing team, and uh, etc. So, and each one of us uh, brings something to the table. Uh, for Islamic Islamic finance, uh, the like the main guidelines is that riba is haram. Riba is the interest that is made 
over um, an, an amount of money. Either uh, I put my money in the bank and they receive interest on it, that's haram, I can't receive it. I, it's also haram that I take a loan from the bank and pay them riba interest. That's that, that. So either in or out, uh, interest on money over money, that's riba. Uh, because um, Islam wanted to keep the connection between the money as uh, the representation of value and the value itself, which is the underlying asset behind the, the value, like for mortgage, the house and the money for the house. So that needs to be tightly connected, stay tightly connected. And um, you are an expert in finance, you would know what happened when tho that those disconnected mortgage-backed securities happened, toxic trenches happened, and you know, the financial, the global financial crisis happened. It's just this extreme usage of derivatives and that make that the trenches of derivatives are far away remote from the house itself that they represent. And that's the disconnect. In Islam, uh, in fact, that um, enlightened me. I was thinking because I was studying finance and there is that, and I said, wow, there is that uh, um, principle in finance in Islam that says you should not disconnect riba, you know? And um, riba also represents any exchange between you and me. For example, you give me something that's worth $10 and I give you something that's worth $1, that's riba, because I am using you. I'm not giving you the fair exchange against the value that you gave me. Any unequal exchange of value means that one party is penalized in that exchange, that's considered riba. It's from fairness point of view, okay? There is another principle, it's, it's called qimar, which is gambling. Like gambling and speculating too much with money or with anything that you own assets is not allowed in Islam because that's, um, uh, you know, taking too much risk and being, you know, like uh, <laughs> not uh, uh, unhinged about your assets and your assets belong to your family members and all that. It's just about uh, financial wellness of people. That's Kimar. There is also Gharar, there is gharar. Gharar means you, I'm selling you something, but that something is not really real. Like I'm selling you a fish that's still swimming in the sea. That I can't do that because that's really uh, very uh, far-fetched, like a value, but it's far remote and it's not certain that I will be able to deliver that to you. That's, uh, the, I would make a parallel, make derivatives would be something like that about, you know, or, or, uh, some type of promise of something that may happen or 50-50 will happen or not happen. Yeah, so that's gharar. So it's not allowed to sell something that you, uh, you don't have the certainty that you own it and you are able to sell it. Okay, so those are like um, the main thing that I know, but yes. I'm sure if Sharia advisor, he will tell you much, much more. But I think that's that's very, very important for people to know because uh, the way I see it is that Islamic finance is a way of socially responsible, you know, finance. So in that sense, it's also important from a sustainable finance perspective because, you know, people who have the wealth, in turn, you know, if you can take care of others who don't really have and, you know, that sort of helps bridge the inequality gap at some point. So what are your thoughts as Islamic finance possibly being a way to sort of lead into sustainable finance as well? Yes, thank you so much for, for asking this question, because it is at the core 
of what we're doing at Aras. Um, we see a deep connection between Islamic finance and values-based finance or uh, money for good. Okay, um, so you touched on charity and um, contributions to society through from the wealthy to the not, not wealthy, uh, which is redistribution of wealth and of money. Um, there is a big um, uh, pillar in Islam about zakat. So uh, when a person makes uh, some money at the end of the year, they have to do calculations and count 2.5% of their money and give it to the eligible, which is the needy family members, starting with family members and going like neighbors and then then then, then by, by relationships. Uh, so that that is a way for the person deliberately with his control. We talk about uh, customer empowerment, that's customer empowerment. So so it's your own money. There's no government to come ask you for it and redistribute it. You distribute it yourself by your own fee feeling of obligation that God is watching you. And there is that part of 2.5% that doesn't belong to you in that money. You need to give it and to give it to the eligible. So that's empowerment. You know, it's a, you do it. So it's a DIY, do it yourself. And then, in it, so Muslims, in addition to taxes that they pay to the government, they are also obligated to pay that zakat 2.5%. Hopefully, it's good enough to redistribute. We are also uh, asked to do a lot of sadaqah, which is a charity, uh, to, to give, like, outside that 2.5%. The more you, you give, the better. And also, it's in line with your earnings and your assets. If you own 100, give out of it one. If you own 1 million, give out of it uh, 1,000, you know, or like. So it's, uh, it's not about how much. It's about how much that, does that represent in what you have. And that's inner it's a personal decision nobody will discuss with you you own what you know what you own make sure you give some of it out okay and um to, so i would like also to digress to go to how um invest uh, how islamic banking or islamic um, fintech um intersect with esg environment social and governance which is a large topic and now globally adopted and i'm always so happy to see to follow the trends and now the situation is that one dollar out of three dollars in the world is dedicated to esg by the will of the investors investors say i would like this dollar to be in esg the others or there are 30 percent in the world or one third that would like to invest only in ESG. So it's a big drive um, led by the investors themselves. And now the investors are in, um, influencing the change of money managers and asset managers so that they do research and uh, do go into the assets and look at securities and funds and have standards and definitions so that they can invest that at those assets specifically to the ESG, you know? So it's a large topic. Also the ESG and sustainability impact is making a lot of companies make so like very meaningful decisions in terms of planet protection, in terms of carbon neutrality. Just um, uh, yesterday I heard about um, 
FedEx. FedEx uh, in uh, now committed to becoming carbon neutral by 2040. Uh, just two days ago, Volvo will be 100% electric. Last month, uh, Daimler and uh, Mercedes. And um, it, it's just so wonderful to see all these companies working hard. It's not easy to be uh, environmentally friendly, but now they're, they put their mind into it and I'm sure they're gonna do it. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Uh, in, incidentally, the, the talk that we that's going to come just before this is absolutely focused on sustainable finance. And this is more from an Indian standpoint also because the problem is there's really no such st set standards in India. So we were taking cues from like, you know, global standards and trying to figure out is there a way to define a framework? And also from this carbon neutral perspective, you know, it's also important that it's not just, you know, some, some credit that companies are taking to sort of show on the books, but actually a lot of meaningful work translates. So that is something, but the good thing is that people are now thinking about it. So I was just telling that we have to start talking about it now, especially from an emerging economy perspective, because otherwise we are, we are going to come and go and then the earth is not going to be the same. So from an Islamic finance perspective also, 2.5% is absolutely what we go and spend such, so, I mean, the, the same amount of money over things we may not even need. So that is so fundamental, but I think people need to know about it. And that is the reason why we said, you know, let's talk about it because even the educated Muslims need to be aware because it's just a way of life. It's just this change in mindset. What, what we see feel is that financial literacy is also about a little bit of a change in mindset. So in your wonderful journey, have you noticed some of the key challenges around financial illiteracy? And you know how that sort of translates and how are you doing the work with our guys to sort of address that that gap area in financial literacy yes thank you so much yeah you just touched on the things that really resonate with me and uh, deep in my heart part of the my uh, my role in teaching is to pro to spread financial literacy. Also part of entrepreneurship is that a lot of bright entrepreneurs are not so savvy in finance. And also in, in general, when you see people in consumption uh, and when you talk with friends and um, uh, family, uh, most of the challenges come from that relationship that's not healthy with money, you know, but because it's not about the amount of it, it's about the behavior with it and how you perceive it. And um, at Agaz, in fact, um, we always debate and, you know, as you debate, things, uh, things crystallize and become um, more shaped and clearly. Um, it's like wonderful when you exchange with people, some ideas that are deep um, in, inside your brain come to life better in terms of words. So one, one uh, statement that we say at Agaz is that money is great so long as it serves your in line with your faith, in line with your values, serves your um, dearest um, objectives in life, and uh, enable you to live a decent life, productive life, generous life, and um, uh, uh, contribute to causes and healthy life. So that also time management is part of it. So you don't want to take so much work that you don't have any time for yourself. You don't want to uh, have money to consume. Like it's just a, a whole like um, balance among all these dimensions of life. And the money is an enabler. 
an enabler and it has to, to be set right. It's a mindset, like you said, it's a mindset. And uh, it, no discussion of money has to be done isolated from lifestyle, values, family circumstances, personal circumstances, what you want to do, what you care about, because that money is just a servant of those discussions. Thank you so much. That is so powerful, you know, that is, and we've also noticed that after a point, money plateaus. So it really doesn't have, but it's just about that shift in, you know, adopting behavior. It could be little things. So that is something which is so important. Thank you, Khadija, for sharing all this, this amazing journey. I wanted to ask you, you know, what are some of your favorite books or, you know, anything, any resources that you sort of go back to as an educator, you know, as somebody who is enabling so many women entrepreneurs, which is so important and tell them and something like, you know, we all have our good days and bad days, but what are some of those things that continue to inspire you when you are ha have those bad days and say, hey, I'm going to come back, learn something new and then spread it all around. Okay, so um, for me personally, I follow the really um, the people that I respect and I found powerful in um, in their ent entrepreneurial journey or in any uh, other sector activism or so those people that I look at and say, wow, how is he or is she doing that? Then I start following them now with social media. If they're alive, if they're not alive, then you read their biographies. But if they're alive, you can read their biographies, but also you can follow them daily on their journey and what they're doing and how they're doing it. So some of the people I like a lot is Elon Musk. I look at him and I see the level of productivity of maybe he's atypical, but I, it just inspires me that I can do so many projects. In fact, that's why I'm associated with so many startups and it's working. It's working as long as you have in your mind that, yes, I can be enabling this and this and this, and I can think this dimension, but I can also think that. And by the, in fact, there is one um, tip that I want to share here. When you're involved in many uh, um, spaces, your brain be become multiplied because you bring your teachings or learnings from this space, you can repurpose it to the other space and you become uh, like augmented, augmented because we, we don't have just one area in where our brain is very uh, versatile and can do a lot of things. And that diverse learning enables you to become a diverse manager or a diverse entrepreneur or, and you can do it. You just need, as we say, time management, focus, dedication, it energize. You have to be inspired by people. When you see someone is doing much better, when I look at these people, I just say, I'm not doing enough. I have to do a little bit more, a little bit more tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll be, um, you know, and I always keep that optimism. It just uh, propels me and gives me that positive energy that it's doable. I just need to figure out how to do it. So thank you yeah. so much for mentioning that. Of course, Elon Musk is an admiration for all of us. And, you know, um, let's hope that we can make even 1% of the impact that he's making. So thank you. But it's by fact, that... Um, some, some of the discussions I had with entrepreneurs, that, oh, dilution of the entrepreneur. And then I say, Elon Musk just uh, hit, uh, like, made a hole in that dilution. There is no dilution. Just keep doing it, you know? And it's like, oh, you're doing too many things. Maybe not. You just need to, you know, have the right things in your mind. And um, uh, man, it's only you that defines what you're doing. The world does not know what's going on in your head. You define the limit where you can go and focus and just do the best you can in that limit and that uh, framework that you draw for yourself. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm just so, so sort of pushed to say this is like, you know, asset allocation, just sort of spread your yes. energies. Exactly. <laughs> it in. is. But yes, thank you. Thank you so it much, is. Khadija. Portfolio. For... You have your portfolio <laughs> of your projects. One of them is family and your own personal time and the rest is project one, two, three, two, you know, three. and yeah, you and juggle it. it. You drop project one and then you take project two. Then, uh, you know, each uh, circumstance commands that you give priority to something over another. Yes, absolutely. Women, when I talk with women entrepreneurs, I always say, if personal life hits, take care of personal, then get back. Get back to the game. It's always just be flexible and malleable like water. But thank you, Khadija, for the amazing work that you're doing with Agas, your own advisory company, and all these women entrepreneurs and, you know, fintech, edtech. The, the impact that you're trying to create is, I think, often sometimes goes a little bit less noticed, but it is so powerful. So thank you for all that brilliant work that you're doing in enabling financial literacy from your perspective. And what an honor it has been to have an opportunity to connect with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for talking to us. And I'm sure this is one of many, many, many more. I would say, you know, we're going to come back. We're going to sort of come and work on something together and many more collaborations in the future. Thank you so much, Shineha. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for sharing with your audience. And it's always an honor and a pleasure to, to talk with you and to talk to your audience. And I hope that we shared something useful today.